a week to celebrate as a happy first birthday to the Vegas Golden Knights. First time games for those new to the NHL, those who switch sides, and more importantly, this week sees both Joe Long and I add another candle to our cake as we both celebrate our birthday. Whether in Canada or feeling the love from afar, we hope you've had a happy Thanksgiving. And what a few days it's been for the opening weekend of the 2018-19 season. Sunday saw 32 goals in just three games, seven shy of the record set back in 1946. Coming up, we've got Willie Watch. No, it's not what you're thinking. We've taken to stalking William Nylander online as we still wait with bated breath for Willie, won't he? Plus, there's plenty of milestones to mark, suspensions to mention, and of course, we hear firsthand what it was like to be an NHL fan from afar during the global series happening in Gothenburg. <laughs> So, Jolon, how's it been? Did you manage to get through watching all three Toronto Maple Leafs games without anybody telling you what the result was after our conversation last I week? I have. I've uh, dusted off the old uh, sheet of how to avoid uh, hearing the score before uh, I get to re-watch the game the day after. I, in fact, my record spun, uh, went as far as two days for the Ottawa one. I didn't manage to watch that until uh, Sunday evening. And uh, so watch that Sunday evening, watch the Chicago game the morning after. And I tell you what, it has been a whirlwind first three games as a Leafs fan. And all the talk over the summer about how we were just going to win every single game that we played. And it was pointless really having a regular season because, hey, why don't we just skip to the playoffs and win this cup thing? Um, I think this has just brought us all back down to the ground and just reminded us that actually... The NHL season is a long, gruelling marathon, not a sprint, and nobody wins the Stanley Cup in week one. I've kept reminding myself. <laughs> you know, last week you were saying about how it was your dad who had accidentally revealed what the score was to you once. Well, my dad did that this week. I was laughing. No it, yeah, clearly he'd sent me a text saying, brilliant game, great win for Toronto. I was like... Why did you just say that to me? You never say that to me normally, but I did think of you. And also, what game was he watching? Because I've, I've yet to see one brilliant game, great win for Toronto. I've seen some brilliant games for the neutral and possibly for the opposition, uh, like the Senators, who somehow were good. But I've yet to see the Leafs kind of... I've, I've yet to fully enjoy a Leafs game this season as a Leafs fan. I can imagine as a neutral it's been great, but as a Leafs fan... It's been a little bit... Yeah, long. exactly. Well, I don't think... I think he's the type of person who just looks at the score and then sends right. me a text. So that's brutal, yeah. isn't it? So we are joined this week uh, by a hardcore Edmonton Oilers fan, uh, Tom Parker, who's with us uh, to record this podcast. Um, Tom, so you, uh, you went over to Sweden, but it's not the first time that you've been over to watch some of these international NHL games, is it? What... Where, where else have you been? Just give us a flavour, because you are, yeah. in my form, a hardcore fan. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. Uh, first NHL game was 2007 in London, funnily enough, when uh, they, they got things going over there. Um, and then I finally got to see the Oilers uh, a, month, a month after that in, uh, in 2007 as well. Um, since then, I've seen the Oilers several times in Edmonton, but also um, just up the road in Calgary. Uh, I've seen them in uh, New York, I've seen them in New Jersey, Anaheim, LA, Chicago, 
and I've also seen um, seen an NHL game in, in your barn in Toronto as well. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's taken me to a few places around the world, and, and one of the good things about being a fan, I think. How did you get into? I was, how did you get? How did you become an Oilers fan? <laughs> That's a question I very often ask myself. Um, it was just I had family living in Edmonton, so um, they said years and years. I went over in 1995, I think it was, and came back with an Oilers cap as a souvenir, not really knowing much about who the team were or anything about the game. Um, it was a couple of years later I got the NHL game on the computer, and, uh, and just because I recognised the logo, I thought I'll play as Edmonton. And just developed a little bit from there. So, uh, so yeah. See, the the thing is, we can tell that you're clearly not from Canada. You're a, a Brummy, which I love to have mm. someone from the Midlands, as someone from Coventry. Jolan, where are you, Derby? Uh, no, I'm I'm Shropshire. I'm feeling very outnumbered. I'm kind of on the edge of the the Midlands. We we like to call ourselves the uh, the West Midlands on the the Welsh border, you know. <laughs> the fringe, the fringe Midlands. Um, so you're, you, you live in uh, Birmingham. Do you, do you support other um, support, uh, sports and teams as well? I've got an incredible record of supporting dreadful sports teams. I've got um, Aston Villa in, in the football. I've got uh, the Cleveland Browns in the NFL, who finally started winning, so uh, that's not been so bad recently. Um, and the Republic of Ireland national team as well. So just... Uh, to say a route for the underdog is a bit of an understatement, really. <laughs> it, I, it seriously is character building, though, supporting teams like that. I'm I'm a Derby County fan in, in football, mm. a Toronto Maple Leafs fan in ice hockey, a, a San Francisco 49ers fan in NFL, and that was uh, only for the last few years, basically, since they were good. Like they were, they've been terrible since I've supported them. Um, <laughs> it is a real character building thing, and I think I think it makes you enjoy the success more. I don't know what it would be like to support a team that wins every year. It doesn't really happen in hockey that much, but I can think of certainly football fans and NFL fans. I don't know what it's like. And does it appeal? Do you ever think, do you know what, I'm going to find a new sport and I'm going to pick the team that is just winning all the time? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things you just think, why, why didn't I pick anyone? When I picked the NFL team, I could have picked anyone. Now you end up picking the worst team in world sports. So, so sometimes you do sort of look at people who enjoy success and, um, and and you envy them a little bit. But I think it's that hope. It's it's the hope that builds you up and keeps you clinging on. But it's the hope that kills you as well. And you, you're always just clinging on, hoping for that good season that will that will make it all worthwhile. But but I completely agree with you. There's something kind of character building about it, and 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 that's that's the thing that actually you know helps you to be passionate. I think just the the hope that it will be better at some point. Now, Claire. I mean, I don't know. From what Tom was just saying, I think we all probably can fall under this banner. When one of our teams finally does win something, and for me it will be across any sport, and if hockey, probably the most hockey, it will just be incredible, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to react to it because I've got very good at dealing with disappointment and defeat and uh, learning how to, you know... Uh, take it from fans of opposition teams who are far more successful when one of my teams finally win and it is a when not an if I'm not sure what I'm going to do and how I'm going to react have you ever imagined it Claire that that Toronto will lift that Stanley Cup and how you will celebrate that moment no I don't think you can even think that far ahead actually I don't think that my mind can take that but even when I initially started following uh, the Leafs they weren't making even the playoffs so the first time 
that I really truly properly followed was a few years ago, and they made the playoffs. When was that? Maybe three years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, yeah. and and that idea that I was going to have to pay extra on NHL Game Centre to watch more games <laughs> was just like, I'll give you my money, you can have it, <laughs> because of the excitement of that, and it's like, oh God, I've got I've got potentially seven more games to watch. I wasn't factoring this in my calendar, so that was really exciting. I don't I don't know. I can't even begin to think that I'm a really really sore loser like I, I really struggle after my team exits the playoffs I struggle to engage all the way through to the final of the playoffs because you can get yourself where you uh, like to, all you care about is your team you're not really bothered yeah, about yeah. thinking elsewhere so doing this podcast is going to be you know it's going to make me widen my horizons and perspective of the sport in general um, but it's a big commitment anyway, is it just to watch three lots of potentially three hour games in a week, let alone taking anyone else's. It's crazy. I, it's, it, doing this podcast has made me think about that, actually, because, yeah, I mean, it's been we, the Leafs have had three games when we're recording this and it, that's taken up nine hours of my time in four or five days, which is which is quite a substantial chunk. And then suddenly when you know, this is going to be an NHL podcast, this is not just a Leafs podcast, and yeah, there are 30 other teams playing out there and playing that many games, so it, it does broaden your horizons. Thankfully, as we've said many times, the Leafs are going to get all the way through to the Stanley Cup final this year anyway, so our attention's going to be on it all the way through the playoffs. I was like you, though. I watched the Leafs up until when they lost to Boston and when they lost to Washington the year before. Then I had to have a little break. I, I kind of missed the second round and the round after that. And then I kind of re-engaged with it again for the kind of Stanley Cup final and maybe the game before that. Tom, for you, as a, an Oilers fan, probably the less we talk about last year, the better. But let's go a little bit further back to that. Describe the moment when you guys got Connor McDavid as a player and you knew that your hockey club had a window of opportunity spanning potentially the next seven years. Yeah, it was incredible really. I think it was, I got, I got almost used to the Oilers getting number one picks and so there was a little bit at the back of my mind that thought, I just had a feeling it would be us. But then even though I felt that way, when it actually happened, it was a sense of disbelief really, just, you know, how can we get that again? And, and and a bit of concern, really, because we'd, we'd sort of been there before. So um, I held a little bit back because obviously I'd been upbeat when they drafted uh, Neil Yakupov in particular. I thought that was a you know an incredible pickup, and and obviously he he didn't prove to live up to the hype at all. So so I think there was almost even though we we kind of knew that McDavid was on that different elite level, there was almost a little bit in the back of my mind. I thought, oh God, I hope he hope he lives up to this and. Uh, and thankfully he has. Uh, the trouble is that the, the rest of the team around him um, haven't haven't risen risen with him. And I think the concern is that you see a player like that playing in a losing team, and you, and you wonder how long will, how long will he be happy to do this? Uh, and, and that's a worry at the moment. Do you think that he will stay? I mean, what's his contract until? I was just trying to look that up. Twenty five, twenty six. Eight eight years, I think. So um, so I mean, it looks fairly robust, but. But I think I'm just in that slightly negative headspace with the Oilers tonight because I've seen them live at the weekend and they weren't anywhere near the level that they need to be if um, if, 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 if the playoffs are on the agenda. And it sounds it sounds almost too pessimistic to write them off after one game, but it was the same mistakes that we've seen 
year in year out that were being made again and you just thought, you just thought to yourself how long will he put up with this and uh, and you know you players can be under contract but but if they get to a point where where they're fed up and they want something else then they tend to get what they want don't they so um, so there's always that at the back of my mind just thinking I, I want the team to to rise around him so so you know we can keep him happy and and ultimately give him what he wants from his career who do you think is is to blame for that are people pointing the fingers at the coach at the management it's, yeah I think it's a bit 50 50 really I think I think the management in particular and it's a it's a running theme with the Oilers I think you can go back 10 15 years probably even longer and and there's just been poor management along the way I think I think you look at the, the Taylor Hall trade for instance everyone said that's it felt like a big price to pay to get Adam Larson and then you see the year that Taylor Hall had and you think well well yeah that was a, a ridiculous trade really and, and and you know you gave up one of the best players in the league for a defenceman who, who frankly hasn't hasn't plugged the gaps that need to be plugged. So, um, so yeah, just a chronic mismanagement. I think I think the coaching has to be held to account as well. I mean, Todd McClellan kept his job last year. They've changed the uh, the assistant coaches around him, but uh, you just wonder how long it can go on this season if they're not performing. It, if, if they would uh, be tempted to make a change at some I mean, you also signed Leon Dreisaitl, although a very good player, to a, an insanely high contract. Like, I know that he had a very good year going into that contract, but what, the contract is over $8 million, uh, $8 million a year. And what I find interesting about linking the, the Oilers and the Leafs at the moment with the contracts is, is quite interesting because Nylander's holding out at the moment and a lot of people are saying that he's holding out for the Dreisaitl deal, basically, because if he signed that, then that's what he should get. And then Matthews would get the McDavid deal. And there's a lot of pressure on the Leafs at the moment to to potentially trade Nylander for a defenceman, because, well, you might have noticed they're shipping goals left, right and centre at the moment. That's exactly the trap that Edmonton fell into. They signed high on Dreisaitl. They traded away a forward and got a defenceman who it didn't turn out too well for them. And now they're stuck right up against the top of the cap. I don't think they've got any space at all. And they've backed themselves into a corner with a world-class player like McDavid. That must be so frustrating as an Oilers fan. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's difficult with Dreisaitl because I think whatever they did, the Oilers, it was a lose-lose situation. You either... Lose Leon Dreisaitl and, and get the criticism for that, or you, you you pay him what he's asking for and holding out for, and um, uh, and, and ultimately get criticised for that as well. So I can sympathise with the situation, but again, I think it I think it saves a lot for you know the, the poor management of the club and 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 the, the, the it's not that it's it's difficult, but it's easy it's easy for fans to criticise, but you expect the management to put themselves on the pedestal and. And make those difficult calls and and and, uh, and to do it in the right way. And I think really, you look at the, the makeup of of uh, the roster. Uh, I think players like Milan Lucic as well. You can throw into the equation and and look at the money that they're earning and just think, is that money being spent in the right areas? And ultimately, I'm not sure it is. Cam Talbot last year was another one who who was a disappointment for you guys. You've got to be hoping that he has a bounce back year this year and performs more like what we have seen from Cam Talbot. Yeah, I mean, two years ago, it was he, he, he had as much as anyone to do with uh, the Oilers' run into the playoffs, and, uh, and ultimately they, they were unfortunate to go out where they did, and, and he was fantastic, and the number of games that he played was almost unheard of, I think, for a, for a goaltender in the NHL. Um, 
but yeah, he, he wasn't at the races as we'd hoped him to be last year, and one game in, and I, I sound like the most awful, fickle fan for writing people off, but but I didn't see any improvement from him on uh, on Saturday at the game, and, uh, and and some of the goals that he conceded just made me think, I'm not sure if you've, you've nailed these issues that, that plagued you last season, and uh, it's a concern. <laughs> Well, how did you guys get on in the draft? Who did you pick up last year? Because normally if you have a bit of a naff year, you can at least attempt to try and get some decent trades. What happened for you in the off-season? Yeah, well, we missed out on the number one the number one pick for once, so, uh, so that was a turn up for the books. We ended up getting uh, Ibn Bouchard, a uh, young defenceman. Uh, I think he was about... I'm not sure exactly what pick he was. I think he was about the 10th pick, so it wasn't one of the... You know the really high picks, but but still a, a decent pickup. He played on Saturday. Um, again, difficult to judge him on one game, and uh, I, I think you can give a young player a pass. Uh, I would imagine that what they're going to do with him is give him the nine games and then drop him back down to junior. I'd, I'd be surprised if he stays with the Oilers for a full season. But uh, from from everything here, I've not I've not seen a huge amount of him. But um, he's a decent pickup, but but one for the future, not one to address the uh, the immediate concerns. I don't think. Uh, I find it really interesting with players uh, uh, that kind of are uh, that come in in their draft year. Miro Haskinen uh, for the Dallas Stars came in, and I mean he's been like, superb and one of uh, players really to look for in the future. But the way he has come in in his rookie year just looks—he looks like he's been playing NHL hockey for years. And we've had other examples of players who just come in and they play, and it's great. However, for most people, when they get drafted. That is what's going to happen, isn't it? They're going to play a couple of NHL games. They'll go back down to the juniors or the AHL. They'll go back up again, maybe, play a few games back down. They'll have a yo-yo year before they look comfortable, which just shows how amazing some of these players like Miro Heskinen are at the Dallas Stars because they can just immediately adapt. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the Oilers have been burned a little bit before in that they, uh, in, in dry cycles, draft year, they brought him up, played him wasn't quite delivering. They ended up burning the year of his contract, so they've sent him back down to junior after the nine games had elapsed. And um, and I think they're a little, uh, they will hopefully now be a little bit more wary of doing that again. But it is interesting that I think the margins are so fine that you can have incredibly talented players, but if they're not right physically, if they don't quite have you know that uh, that level of development behind them, then um, it, it, it's a tough call to make. Yeah, it's certainly not one that I would like to make. <laughs> So, Tom, where do you see this year panning out for the Oilers? What are your hopes and your dreams, as we like to say? <laughs> hopes and dreams, obviously, would be to to get into the playoffs and, and, and look like a danger in there. It's difficult to call. I mean, last year, I think the Oilers was, at the start of the season, the Oilers were second favourites with the bookmakers to win the Cup. And obviously, the season didn't pan out as we'd expect. And... I think everyone's a lot more pessimistic this year and I, I would imagine that the truth of, of where that lie is somewhere in between. Obviously McDavid's the factor if, if, if you know when you've got the leading scorer on your team you've always got a chance of doing something and if, if you can get that little bit extra out of the rest of the team then you can do something. Uh, for me I'd say that my realistic expectation would be just to just to qualify for the playoffs and, and, and nothing beyond that. Um, but really it's touch and go and, and, and when that will happen I've, I've no idea and, and at the moment I think again having watched one, one poor game um, 
I'm, I'm erring on the on the negative side of the coin at the moment. So Aww. we'll see how it goes. But maybe we'll have a big win on Thursday, and I'll be feeling a bit a lot more optimistic. And uh, yeah, take it one game at a time, as the old uh, as the old saying goes. <laughs> Tell us about Sweden then, because we were talking about this last week on episode one, and I was trying to work out really. Were the NHL really publicising enough about the global series? And then all I seemed to get were notifications in the last few days of NHL is now live in Sweden. Um, and so I felt like I did hear a little bit more about it. I, I haven't had a chance yet to watch any of the highlights. I'm sure that's probably something that you might not want to do. Um, but what, what, who were the people that go to these kind of things? And, you know, is there much kind of opportunity to meet up and meet other crazy people such as yourself who are in the same boat what how does it work yeah. it, it was a real eye-opener eye really because obviously i've been to the nfl international series games over in the uk and, and i was expecting something a little bit like that uh, you know mainly people in a real mix of nhl jerseys and and you know not really a standout support for either team uh, what I found was actually the exact opposite. I think most of the people in there were either wearing Oilers or Devils jerseys. Uh, a surprise to me was that Oilers fans seemed to outnumber Devils fans probably by about two to one, which was incredible, really. I, I, I had no idea they were so well supported around the world. Um, I think, obviously, Oilers being a big hockey market as well, there were about, officially, there were 400 Oilers fans came over on official trips, but I'd imagine. There the were others who travelled on, on their own steam and got there. So, yeah, a lot of Canadian people uh, taking the opportunity to travel, but but also a lot, a lot of people like myself, international fans, who um, who are in the same boat and in, interesting to speak to people and, you know, find out their experiences, same as how I'm speaking to you. And, you know, that familiar story of staying up all night to watch games and avoiding the scores and to, to watch the game the next day. So, uh, so yeah, the, the the actual makeup was was surprising to me. Really, it was it was very much geared towards the two teams and not that real mixed crowd, which uh, which 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 was eye opening. Because I saw something on, oh, I think it must have been Twitter. Maybe it was, uh, it might have been New Jersey Devils, with the players going out and doing some weird like treasure hunt or something. Um, I'm just gonna see if I can I can find it. Um, but it it made me laugh. They were just wandering around <laughs> Sweden. In Gothenburg, just doing like some treasure hunt, and I think they were pulling it on updates on Twitter. So like, it felt like the uh, the players were having a bit of fun um, for themselves. Actually, no, it it wasn't New Jersey Devils. It was it was Edmonton Oilers, uh, because Jean uh, Principe, uh, the Sportsnet reporter um, based in Edmonton, had been uh, had wrote an article which featured about it, um, and I thought, yeah. what what a what a good idea, because the chance of you as a fan following this and if you were there you could potentially go and find them and have your picture yeah. taken with them which yeah. uh, certainly when you are watching this on your laptop at 3 a.m with the brightness as low as possible and the sound down so you don't wake up a partner or your flatmate the idea that you could be potentially in the same city bump into one of your heroes uh, is probably quite crazy yeah, I think there was a lot more of that with the Oilers in particular. I went to Cologne earlier in the week as well. Uh, they were playing an exhibition game against the, the Cologne Sharks, which was really interesting. I think that's where the players went out and about a lot more. They had a couple of days ah. while they were in Cologne. They were, they were around that city. So, um, unfortunately, I, for the Cologne game, I, threw it, I flew in on the morning of the game and 
and the Oilers left directly after us. So those opportunities to, to see the players out and about um, evaded me a little bit. But um, but yeah, it, I mean, it was great, really. And I, th I think it was probably an eye-opener for the teams as well to get over there and, and see the level of interest. Uh, I think it was surprising to me, then perhaps it was surprising to the teams themselves. But uh, I, I guess fun for the players because they got that enough recognition that they felt, you know, that, that, that it meant something to them. But... But I suppose they weren't being recognised as much as they are back home and they could get out and about and enjoy the city a little bit more. So, so yeah, it was a really unique atmosphere, really, and uh, just something that was nice to be a part of. I remember that from my first ever NHL game I went to go and see. It was LA Kings versus the Edmonton Oilers, funnily enough, and it, it was because I was in LA. And it was so strange to see this sport that I'd watched on my laptop, as you say, Claire, at 3am in the morning, and to see these players in person, it's it's like something I can't really describe because I've seen so many other sports and I've watched football on the TV and then watched it live. But it was a surreal experience watching NHL hockey live there in front of you. And as a sell for the sport, this sport transfers just as well watching it live in the arena as it does on TV or on your laptop because watching it live you get to see so much more you get a broader picture of the rink you get to see the plays you get to see the kind of what they were trying to do sometimes whereas on TV a miss pass could just go to uh, kind of go off screen on the left corner and it turns over and they go around the other end you have no idea why they did it but when you're watching it you can see the kind of the whole game moving in front of you and it's just an incredible experience watching NHL hockey live. I think generally watching ice hockey live because obviously there there are and uh, there is a, a a league in the UK. I've been to see many games across uh, the UK. Uh, there's a team here in Manchester. I've been Belfast, Coventry, Sheffield, a few of the teams up in Scotland. And actually, when you physically go into some of these places and see it, you're, you're exactly right because it, sometimes the play can be continuing, but it's always nice to kind of see, well, what's happening on the bench? Is that player really injured? You know, oh, someone's left, they've, they've left the ice, but why have they left the ice? But you wouldn't see that kind of thing. And also, when you get a game, I mean, we're going to recap some of the games, such as um, the last night's Leaf game was unbelievable. We're recording this podcast on Monday, so we're still hyped about it. Uh, but being in a place like that, where you have your heart in your mouth right to the very end, and we talked about you know, being a sore loser, there is nothing worse than when you are in the building and your team loses. I've never felt such pain as I did when you're in the building watching a game losing, because at least when you're at home in bed, you can just shut the laptop and just hope that you just go to sleep and wake up and forget about it. Kinda. And just sulk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I normally do. I try and forget all about it and move on with my day or do something else. I was actually, were well, you talking about British ice hockey and English ice hockey? And um, I actually got invited last weekend to be a summariser for the Oxford City Stars because um, it's a, a local club to where I am sometimes, and um, it was really cool. Got to get there with a like a great guy who'd done commentary on them for years, and I got to occasionally kind of pipe up and give my opinion for what it's worth. And it was really nice to see just so many enthusiastic fans in a place like Oxford, which is, you know, it's not a hockey capital of the UK, let alone the world. But on a Sunday night, they were playing Swindon. It was a local rivalry. It was great to see a load of people just there watching hockey and enjoying hockey. 
And yeah, to have those feelings, I mean, Oxford won something like 14-2 and absolutely schooled Swindon. So I'm sorry if there are any Swindon Wildcats fans listening, but your team was a long way off the stand of Oxford that night. But it's great to see that. And you're right. And hopefully that will bring more people in, bring up the level of appreciation for the game in this country. And then also, obviously, people will go on to watch the NHL. Mm, Swindon, there's been a few players that have crossed over from Swindon Wildcats into uh, the Elite League uh, in the UK ice hockey world as well and there you see some of those players who are progressing upwards into team gb obviously but to be to get the chance to play with uh players who have come out of the ahl the echl or even have played in nhl and they go up from a team such as swindon wildcats into the elite league and play alongside those north americans it is happening it is happening there and it's happening you know in a rink near us i mean tom i'm i'm curious to know you're Birmingham, uh, Coventry Blaze aren't that far down the road from you. But do you know, do you have other friends who like ice hockey or is this a solo activity for you? No, absolutely not. Yeah, that was, that was the point I was about to chip in with actually. Um, just, just to try and explain, uh, Joe Lon obviously said that he feels surreal to go and watch a game. And I think the reason why is, I mean, for me, I'm not sure about you guys, but it's such a lonely pastime in a way. I mean, you sit up in the middle of the night on your own and none of my mates are into it. Um, I never really get to talk to anyone about hockey. So I think when I go to games and I'm totally surrounded with people who, you know, have the same points of reference and you can have those conversations with them and, and tell people what you think about it, it's, um, I, think, I think that is why it is so such a strange environment to be in all of a sudden because this lonely pastime is suddenly equally important to, to everyone around you and, uh, and it, it's quite nice actually, it's, it's nice to talk to you guys as well really because uh, I think it's those sort of those thoughts and feelings and, and observations that, that really you keep to yourself most of the time uh, other than putting it on Twitter for instance. <laughs> it's so, basically uh, why we did this podcast <laughs> so that me so and Claire, and Claire can legit talk, talk about, about ice hockey so our, our friends, partners and family can kind of just shut us to one side and we can talk about ice hockey for at least an hour once a week um but so you're an Oilers fan you're from the UK you talk about it kind of as that lonely pastime and all that kind of stuff do you find yourself getting pulled into all of the other kind of hockey stories that are going on because I want to come on and talk about some of the stuff that's been going on uh, in the first week of the hockey season it's been quite eventful I don't know whether it's just always like this but it seems to be quite eventful um I kind of don't want to start with the whole Tom Wilson thing because it's a story that's been talked about a lot and it's a side of the game that's not exactly great. But let's get it out of the way and talk about it now. We talked about it on the last podcast and we, at that point, didn't know how long he was going to be suspended for. I think we had guesses of like five games. I think maybe somebody said 10. No way did anyone think that he was going to get 20 games. However, when he did get him... Unless you're a Washington Capitals fan or Don Cherry on Hockey Night in Canada, most people were kind of like, yep, yeah, fine. He got what he deserved. Let's move on. He has since appealed this and we don't know the outcome of that. So he might have a few games shaved off that. But Tom, what was your thoughts on that? Are you a kind of guy who says, look, hockey's a tough game. He got hit. It wasn't a great hit, but he just got hit and it's time to move on. Or is that kind of hit and OK, it's Tom Wilson got to factor into the punishment? It's a tough one, really. I'm, I'm not entirely one of those fans who loves big hits for the sake of big hits and loves fighting for the sake of fighting. But uh, I, I'm a fan of aggression, you know, when it's channeled, when it's appropriate, when, when, when there's a means to an end. 
I've, I've only briefly seen this incident that we're talking about, uh, to be quite honest. I've not seen it from every possible angle. It was one of those that I saw flash up on the screen and thought, oh, God, that's a bad one. Um, in terms of intent, I'm not sure. Um, I, w I would agree. I'd say 20 games is probably a bit much. Uh, I, I would have probably gone in at about 10. But um, it's one of those tough ones. It's one of those that I think you can debate for hours and, and never really get to the bottom of. I think everyone will have opposing views on it. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's something that... I'm not entirely a fan of in the game, but I can kind of see the role that that, that sort of aggression does play. So, is is that is that sitting on the fence enough for you? <laughs> see, I think also we've got to factor in the the twenty figure is high, but what they also had to consider was the history uh, that was involved in this. So it wasn't just a one incident. He had been found, you know, guilty if that's the right word, of similar incidents. Uh, like this. So I think that the NHL player safety is clearly sending out a message at the start of the season and they're also saying we're changing things in this league and you've got a history of this. It's not your first time offence so we're going to send a message out and they're setting the uh, the tone for the rest of the season. Uh, that that was my feeling in it. It's not just that. I mean he, you're right but he's been he's been suspended something like four times in 105 uh, games so if you think about the, the amount of time that is including the summer okay it feels like a while ago but in 105 games to be suspended four times including last year in the playoffs I don't know maybe it's because I'm a relatively kind of new generation hockey fan I haven't been supporting a hockey team for kind of 20-30 years but I just don't I don't want to see a player on my team a Matthews a Nylander a Marner get wiped out and then end up missing a large part of the season, and then I don't get to watch that player play for my team. And I, you know, put that across any team. You know, Edmonton. I'm sure many, many people have had a go at Connor McDavid to try and take him out of the game. And any team has got a player that they're worried about. And I just don't. I don't know. I just don't want to see a player going in to potentially hurt someone like that. I mean, and also. It was a preseason game. It meant nothing, and it was just such a—I don't know—it's such a tough, tough challenge to someone who wasn't looking, didn't know it was coming. And you think, is this really where hockey wants to go? Surely it wants to keep its stars, its pace, its youthful players playing on the ice as opposed to on injured reserve. Yeah, well, I mean, it actually happened with McDavid, of course, in his in his third season. There was a guy from the Philadelphia Flyers. I've forgotten the guy's name now, but. He broke he broke McDavid's collarbone by checking him into the boards and and to me I mean I'm biased of course but it looked a dirty hit and he didn't get anywhere near the punishment and um, so I guess you do want the, the rules applied consistently but but it's it's a good point you don't want to see the star players knocked out of the game and uh, and and made to miss uh, significant periods of time and and obviously there's an example of a great young player who it happened to and and my view was entirely different then it was banning forever <laughs> and. Uh, and get rid of him so uh, mm -hmm. I guess it depends on where you stand and, and ultimately who the player is. Yeah well let's look at some of the other things that have happened over the week um, we've got some of the milestones that have happened some of the injuries we said there about seeing a, a key player go out Florida Panthers lost their opening game and they lost their goalie in Roberto Luongo um, I didn't watch all, all of the game but just saw that they, it was a bit of a messy uh, situation near the net 
and uh, several people landed on top of him. It was a bad land, and he had to leave during the second period. I think they also lost Derek McKenzie in their first period as well. So that wasn't a great one. Uh, but some of the milestones as well, so many things. I mean, we've called this episode Celebrate um, because I, I, love a, I love a stat. I don't know about you, but I'm an absolute <laughs> geek. This game is perfect for stat geeks, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah, they do it well, the NHL, don't they? Woo, so what have we got here? I've, I've written down a list in my stat book. Jamie Benn surpasses his 600th career point. I think he went at 601, didn't he, up on Saturday. Um, we've got plenty of first NHL career goals. Uh, Brett Howden for New York Rangers. Alexander Steen, 900th career NHL game. He was playing with the St. Louis Blues over the weekend. And then just basically, Chicago Blackhawks um, captain. Jonathan Taves, just generally on fire, picking up hat-tricks, scoring left, right, centre. I mean, what were the, some of the uh, the milestones and the um, stats and things that jumped out uh, at you guys? The thing I find, the, the one that caught my eye, and it's one that I kind of knew, but I keep forgetting that this is the case, is Patrick Marlowe, who, uh, former San Jose Shark and now Leaf, his Ironman streak is incredible. The guy is now... I'm trying to find the actual figure because it, it just shocked me when I heard it. But he's 39 years old. Now, he's played hundred. Uh, sorry, 1,578 games. I'm pretty sure that is his Ironman streak. I've got to double-check it, and it might be a few games south of that. But I think it's pretty close to that. I just find that incredible. In a game as tough and physical as ice hockey, and with so many games, three a week, four a week sometimes, that he has played every single game of those and never missed a game. It is pretty incredible, isn't it? And then also, uh, you know, a couple of the games that we kind of picked out for this week, we are biased, of course, but Chicago Blackhawks and Toronto Maple Leafs meet up on Sunday night really was an absolute thriller with so many goals. And, of course, Patrick Marlowe was on the ice uh, when uh, Morgan Riley scored the game-winning goal. Uh, Marlowe was at the net waiting. Uh, I think he was on the line, wasn't he? Riley, Marlowe and Matthews were on as the special team in uh, three-on-three yeah. overtime. So the fact, that, <laughs> the fact that a 39-year-old uh, is still up at that kind of level for that team shows how what a good quality player. Um who else? There's uh, McElhenney as well. How old is he as a goalie who is obviously crossed from the Leafs? Oh, do, do, do we, we have, have to talk, talk about, about him? <laughs> the Leaf fans are quite sad because, uh, you know, he's been traded. Where's he been traded to? Arizona? Carolina. Carolina. Somewhere began with C. I knew it was somewhere began with C. Um, and he's having a great season, isn't he? But he's he's fairly older for a goalie as well. So... Shows that age is nothing but a number, hey? No, it's very, very true. And the thing with Patrick Marlowe, as you say, I mean, it must bring out the youth in him playing with the likes of Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and people like that. There were, the, there were some glorious pictures that just made your heart melt, well, made my heart melt anyway, last year of Patrick Marlowe inviting around Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and then playing with the kids and things like that. And just so many great things like that that make you just, ah, oh, your heart right. melts. What else have we got? I also looked up some geeky stats because it is... Uh, your birthday, Jolon, uh, this week, and it is my birthday. And so I wanted to look up whether there were any current NHL players who had birthdays on the same day as us. Um, 
I'll just tell you now that for me, there aren't. Uh, my birthday is the 11th of October. I have somebody uh, who was part of the Buffalo Sabres team last year, Justin Falk. Uh, he turns 29 on Thursday, but he's now actually been dropped down to AHL. Uh, but you have loads, Jolon. You've got... Do I? Well, you've got three, actually. I say, I say right. loads. But you've got more than me. Uh, you've got Oscar, well, on, Oscar Phantomberg, LA Kings. Yeah. Right, he turns 27. Uh, you've got Nikolay Golderbin, who turns 23 with the Canucks. And you've got Josh Manson from Anaheim Ducks, who turns 27. Okay, so you say it's great and I've got loads. I actually didn't know any of those players. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's not like you share the same That's birthday. A, a great name, though. <laughs> it is a good name. It is a good name. <laughs> so if it is your birthday and you're listening to this podcast and it is coming up, then please tweet or email us at NHL fans from afar and we will be sure to give you a birthday shout-out and find out if any current NHL players share the same birthday as you. So last, Just before we move on, um, last year for my birthday, I had probably one of the best birthdays ever because uh, I was in Toronto and I got to see them play Chicago when they beat them 8-5. And it was amazing, that game. There was just so much to it and sitting there in what was the Air Canada Centre on my birthday and the best thing about it is i got my name on the big screen and i got the happy birthday message and i've got a picture of it which i will tweet from our twitter account because oh that was a proud moment seeing my name up there on the toronto maple leaf jumbotron big screen and it's the closest thing i'll probably ever come to actually playing for the toronto maple leaf sorry <laughs> oh bless you that's yeah. so sweet yeah. isn't it yeah, see right see that that's the thing tom I, I have no one to tell that cool story to, but now I've got a podcast to talk to and people like you and Claire can at least humour me with the knowledge of what that actually means as opposed to just humouring me without knowing at all what's going on. <laughs> yeah, well, my last time in Edmonton, they, um, it was me and my wife were on our honeymoon and uh, they put us up on the, on the Jumbotron, announced us and the whole arena cheered us and we were completely oblivious to the whole thing going on. Apparently you could just see me on the screen. I think I was trying to explain a rule or something to my wife. <laughs> Entirely hang oblivious on. to the whole thing. And then around on, some waving, no, nobody thought to tap us on the shoulder. So You got to, hang on, I'm sorry. This just amazes me. You got to go to Edmonton on your honeymoon. Yeah, well, um, it was sort of... Uh, <laughs> Our actual honeymoon was in Ireland, and then using some of the money that people had kindly given us for the wedding, uh, we decided to uh, to go to Canada. So, so yeah, Anna and I went over there for all. She goes, I managed to get three games out of it, which was marvellous. And uh, and yeah, then I took her to the Rockies for a week. But obviously visiting family and stuff, so uh, lots of other stuff going on as well. But, uh, but yeah, I managed to squeeze three games out of it, which was uh, was pretty good. Interesting use of the word we there, Tom. We decided to go to Canada, uh, I can imagine. I w I'm just trying to play that conversation through in my head with uh, you know, a future girlfriend who might you know, uh, accept my hand in marriage, how the conversation would go if I said, I tell you what, honeymoon destination, Toronto? <laughs> yes, no? Oh, dear. I brought, to, I brought her to Gothenburg as well, so, uh, so oh, yeah, she's, she's really living the ice hockey life now. I can see where you put a ring on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, talking about uh, rings, uh, the phone has not been ringing, as far as we can tell, for William Nylander. Um, last week, uh, you mentioned, Jolon, uh, that you had been stalking William Nylander a little bit and looking at his Instagram updates, which 
as far as we could tell, in what I have nicknamed now Willy Watch, um, there is no, <laughs> there's, there's no further social media posts. Uh, there are no more pictures of him um, advertising well-known trainer and sporting clothing brands, as far as I can nope. tell. Uh, but uh, I was trying to work out whether there was something, wasn't he seen in, in Sweden or a Swedish um, hockey reporter spoke to his dad or something like that? Did you did you see this? Yeah, I heard something about it. I've heard a couple of things about him. Uh, he's been asked whether he watched the Leafs game, uh, the first one against Montreal and things like that. And he's I think he said something like, oh, it's the middle of the night. No, I mean, I mean, it doesn't stop any of us. But, I mean, the whole William Nylander thing is really interesting because I shouldn't... We should probably update people who aren't Leaf fans what's going on. Okay, so William Nylander is, uh, if you don't know him at all, he's a a brilliant winger, youth winger who came through the system, uh, drafted him a few years ago, and he's kind of one of the big three for Toronto, which has now turned into the big four with Tavares, uh, but at the moment is a big three. Uh, because it, it used to be Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews and William Nylander. Now, for various boring reasons, he his contract year is this year. So he is an, um, a restricted free agent. And he, he, I think, anyway, personally, he's suffering from the fact that he is first up. He's first up to get his contract done. And a little bit like we were talking about earlier with Leon Dreisaitl and Conor McDavid, the, the the contract crunch or the salary crunch is coming for Toronto and it's coming next year. Now, Kyle Dubas, the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, has made it quite clear. In fact, he said on a, on a podcast, a Sportsnet podcast called 31 Thoughts, when asked, can you sign Matthews, Marner and Nylander with having the salary of Tavares in there as well? He said, we can and we will. Now, people have kind of suggested that that might not have been such a wise thing to say that so early. However, the confidence does give me as a fan like a a good feeling thinking that this will happen. I think the problem for Nylander is that he is being offered something around the kind of six six million mark and he's kind of looking for the dry sidle eight million mark realistically they're probably going to meet somewhere in the middle but I think the Leafs are really holding out for him to come down to that six something mark because they know that this sets a precedent if they sign Nylander to a seven eight million dollar contract they know that next year when both Marner and Matthews need to be signed there may not be the money to get that done so they really need to get this done but at the same time, it's not hugely hurting the Leafs that Nylander isn't playing for them at the moment. They're still getting wins. OK, they're not playing great, but it's the defence that's the problem, not the, the goals. And so the longer it goes on, yeah, I go, I kind of go back and forth because I'm watching a game against Chicago and we're losing and we're playing terribly. And I'm going, oh, for God's sake, William, just sign, come back and save us. But then, you know, we we go up and we're winning in the game and I'm thinking, that's ah, fine. We've got Kasperi, Kapanen and players like that. We don't need him yet. The deadline for this is the 1st of December. Who knows what will happen? People love speculating about what is exactly going on. It just seems like they're in a bit of a stalemate. But by the 1st of December, he needs to sign or he's not playing this year and he has to sit out the remainder of the season. And something else I learned because he's a restricted free agent, the Leafs basically have him under contract until something like 2023. So it's not like he can even sign for anyone else next season if he doesn't sign for the Leafs this year. 
So the you know the it's really sided with the team. However, they need to eventually get to a figure that they're both happy with. Mm. So Tom, you've been obviously following NHL a lot longer than myself and Jolon. Have you seen this kind of situation crop up again, either for your team or, or for other teams? Yeah, there's this very similar situation really, probably about 15 years or so ago now with uh, a player called Mike Comrie at the Oilers, um, who I think at the time was very similar, uh, you know, very talented winger, uh, probably one of the best three players on the team. And they obviously went, reached a stalemate with the contract, he wasn't playing for the team. Ultimately, he ended up getting his own way in the end, leaving and, um, and, and never really reached the heights for what, for, as far as I'm concerned, that he could have. Uh, he ended up coming back to the Oilers a few years later, but um, you know, leaving very shortly afterwards. And I think it ultimately ended up having a very, uh, um, you know, didn't reach his full potential in his career, really. So um, I guess there's always that that question with him. I mean, how long does he let this sit out? And um, and obviously, I think the Leafs have have uh, all the aces really. So I think it's either you know he. Comes to an agreement with them, or you know, potentially his career could uh, could, could hit the buttons to some extent. Which for a player that talented would be a real shame. Mm. Well, we're interested uh, if you see any kind of tidbits of information of what William Nylander is up to. Uh, it could be that you've seen him shopping in Tesco. Um, if Tesco is in Sweden, other supermarkets are available. Perhaps IKEA. Maybe you've seen him buying a new flat pack. Uh, bookshelf you never know I was in Ikea at the weekend Claire in my uh, Maple Leafs jersey and I did think surely there's got to be some clever picture that I could send to uh, William Nylander at this point but I couldn't (laughs) think what it was and I thought you know what I bet I'm not the first Oh, right. Talking of social media, I have very much enjoyed uh, looking a little bit further across the league because as you kind of we're trying to do is is spread our knowledge of what's happening uh, east and west uh, to build this podcast and I've very much enjoyed the Twitter banter of uh, Vegas. Uh, they are one of the best Twitter accounts when it comes to banter. Uh, there was a one particular moment the other night uh, where I think they had put end of the first period, I think it was Saturday actually, it was an incredible game, well worth of all the games of this uh, weekend of going and watching uh, the the Vegas Saturday game uh, in highlights, the condensed or game in six. Uh, at the end of the first, it wasn't quite going their way. There weren't many goals happening uh, and none from them. And they just put mood, semicolon, like you've locked the car keys inside the car, <laughs> which I thought was great to see a bit of personality uh, on, on there as well. And what we also saw uh, was some, I can't remember which... Um, uh, news outlet tweeted uh, the video of Eric Carlson and a couple of the, his teammates arriving in their suits before the opening game in uh, San Jose and they all just had you know, it's all about fashion with Eric Carlson isn't it, if you remember to the All-Stars weekend it was all about his suit Well, it, uh, he came out uh, in a very beautiful suit and I don't know the name of the player who was next to him but came out in a white suit Right? Who wears a white suit? But it was so tight. If there are any female fans uh, listening to this podcast, you may want to go and check that out. Gentlemen, what are your thoughts on white suits? Because, wow, I'm not sure about that. But hey, it's all about the pre-game suit and that's what he went for. Hey Tom, ask me about William Nylander. I'll talk for hours. You can take this one. 
Yeah, not for me, a white suit, I don't think. Uh, reminds me a little bit of, uh, I, I don't know if you remember, Liverpool in their white suits before the 96 Cup final, which they ended up losing. So uh, I think since then, white white suits have seemed, seemed a bit off limits to me. But each to their own, if you can pull it off, good, good luck to you. Yeah, and then the other thing was um, celebrations of the week as well. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes uh, have started, they, they actually had a, their first home win of the season, Oh, it was 8-5 they won against New York Rangers. That was on Sunday. And uh, they've got this new celebration, which you can see the video online. They all line up uh, on the blue line, and they were clapping along to this song, which I've never heard of, because I'm clearly not cool and down with the kids. All I do is win. Uh, DJ Khaled, do you know it? I don't know it. I'm aware I've of DJ of Khaled's it. work. Okay, clearly you're younger than me. I'm a little bit. I'm a, I'm a fan of the one there again. The Leafs use it at the, at the final when they win. They use um, Maxine Nightingale right back to where we started from, and I never knew what that song was until uh, obviously going to watch the Leafs in there. It's a great song. It's in my head all the time now. So it, there is that is a thing. Hockey songs is one of the things that actually brought me into hockey. I think because I'm a fan of like cheesy uh, dance music and pop music and the type of music they use in those little gaps in play i just love it and they're proper earworms and i will always be ending up humming those songs as i'm leaving the arena or after watching it on tv and downloading them so much so i have now made myself a little hockey playlist which is full of tracks like that so i'll add dj khaled into that playlist and by next week i'll be able to tell you all about it that's so geeky. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think we could all safely say that we fall under that bracket, though. We are talking about ice hockey in a country that mostly doesn't care about ice hockey, and yet we dedicate so many hours of our life to following these teams. Oh, God. Uh... I think we all have at least a couple of songs on our playlist that are the goal song or, or something or other. So, uh, yeah, Which one is it for Edmonton, Tom? Um, at the moment, it's one... Um, I can't even remember what it's called, for, but it's got—it's just one of those that sticks in your head. But they're playing it in the two games that I've seen uh, the, the last week, even though Oilers were the away team. And it's, it's got a little riff where it goes na 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 na, and you just find yourself walking up the road with that, just humming it in your head, and, and you need <laughs> it out of there. But but it won't—it'll be in there for months now. <laughs> the other thing I do want to mention—I love a bit of superstition in hockey. And watching some of these guys, the length that they go to for pre-game superstition. Uh, there was a game of rock, paper, scissors. I don't know if you saw uh, or heard of any of this uh, the other day, but there was um, pre-game rivalry happening, um, which was, oh, where was it? Dallas Stars and Winnipeg Jets. So Tyler, I never know how to say his name. Is it Sigwin? Sigwin. Scheif. Oh, oh no, Tyler Sagan. Sagan, that's it. I always doubt myself when I say his name. I thought you were struggling over Shafley. No. And I was thinking, oh no. <laughs> Mark Shafley. So they apparently, they've done this on several occasions before. When they do the warm-up, they have this thing of they want to be the last one to leave the ice. It's quite common, actually. You don't often see warm-ups when you watch it on telly, but when you go see these games in person, you see there's a unique way, and the goalies really lead the warm-ups, and they, it has to be just right for the goalie. Otherwise, it could set them off to a bad start in the game. But these two guys always like to be the last one to leave ice. So the last couple of times, they've done rock, paper, scissors. Um, but I think in this occasion... Uh, I think it's um, Seguin. Am I saying it right? 
Sagan. Sagan. See, I just can't say he's just one of Dallas those names. Dallas Stars fans are just like pulling their hair out, going like he's one of our main players. I know. I just his name is always stuck with me. He basically tricked uh, um, the other guy to leave the ice, and then they went on to to win. So. I like stuff like that. I love little nerdy things. If you see any of that in the week, then please tell us so we can go and watch it and mention it and make sure we share that on our Twitter account. There's loads of stuff like that, isn't there? There's loads. The hockey players are so superstitious in the way that they tape up their sticks, in the way that they put their, their uniform and their kit on. It's incredible game of that. And one of the things I love about ice hockey is that you have those moments where you know, those two like bitter rivals and, you know, Dallas and, and Winnipeg Jets will be going like all out to win that game. And yet there are just those brilliant moments of, you know, these two are two great hockey players who are obviously enjoying their time and they're quite happy to indulge the fans and themselves in a little bit of rock, paper, scissors action. I just love seeing it in within all the brutality and physicality of a game of ice hockey. You can still have those little moments of playfulness. It's brilliant. Mm, definitely. Right, what else have we got? I've, I tried to look through a few of the fights that happened over this week because, you know, it's one of the things that people talk about in this sport. The, the one that kind of stood out to me, um, of which I think many of us, particularly as Leaf fans, were sat there going, how many, how many uh, nil? Was the Washington Caps 7 nil thrashing of Boston Bruins last week? Sorry if you're a Boston fan. Uh, but... No, when, we're not. <laughs> when sellies don't go, go quite to plan is how I kind of wrote this. And what was happening was uh, Lars Eller had scored another. I think he scored more than one in the game. But he, as he went to do his celebration, he popped over and was taunting the Boston bench. And when Brad Martins came on the ice uh, when Eller was next on, uh, they clearly exchanged a few words. And the punch that Brad Marchand did, watching it in slow-mo, was the perfect punch. You know how if you're ever in a fight at school, you always wanted it to look like that kind of punch. But really, it never <laughs> yeah. did, did it? You just kind of pulled yeah. each other's hair and cried a bit. Um, it was slow-mo, perfect, fit to the uh, like left temple. And there was blood as he left the ice. Uh, but clearly giving him a bit of a message. And of, of course, when you're losing 7-0, there's always going to be those kind of situations because you need to show the fans that we're still, we still care about this. We're not enjoying this either. And you've got to raise the atmosphere. Um, but that, for me, was uh, one, to, one worth checking out if you're just catching up and want to go and see some of the highlights over the last week have you guys the seen thing any? with that one though well, the, well i was going to say the thing with that one though is there's a real kind of question mark over how legit that fight was because okay yeah ella made a kind of comment and did his whole celebration thing in front of the boston bench which some people say well you got what he deserved but the, there was if you actually watch the replay Marshan goes in on that fight and there is a good few seconds before it looks like Ella actually goes, oh, all right, we are in a fight here and fights back. I think Marshan did get an instigator penalty as well on top of the fighting one. I'm not sure. But then that's a really kind of dodgy line there because it's like how where else in your everyday life are you allowed to just kind of like drop your gloves and punch someone in the face and not get any kind of major um punishment for it and i know we kind of go put it under the whole hockey fight thing and that punch that marshan did land on him was clean as a whistle like it was yeah as you said it was as, as you would want a punch to go 
But it's a really interesting one for me as to the whole fighting in hockey argument goes again, because did Ella want to have that fight? Did he look like he was ready for that fight? I don't know. And I mean, someone like Brad Marchand, I mean, you wouldn't put it past him because he's a, well, he's a dirty player to say the least. But, um, and that's coming from a least fan, I know, but a lot of other teams would mirror that argument. thing is, if he's giving it, he's got to be able to potentially take it. And when you're playing a team such as Boston Bruins or Philadelphia Flyers, you know, the history that comes with those teams of the players that they have previously and just generally the, the nature of how they're built, they are a more physical kind of set of, of, set of players. So if you're giving and celebrating in front of a bench to a team like that, would you not expect that that's going to rile some kind of reaction? And particularly when there's a, a score on the board such as that, they're gonna, it's going to take the smallest thing for something to, to kick off, surely. That's also the context, I think, around that, rather than just generally uh, from a, is aggression and violence good in hockey? Um, the context of this team, the history, the situation and... I don't know. I find, I find no, you're right, Claire. And, and that's interesting because there's a lot of teams now where there isn't that person to do that. Now, Boston, as you say, and Philadelphia and teams like that do still have those. Marshan's not an enforcer because he's too good. Like an enforcer was there just to basically come on the ice and pummel someone if they, you know, had a go at their, one of their players. Marshan's not one of them because he's an incredible, much as it pains me to say, he's an incredible player and scores and plays on one of the best lines in hockey. But he does play that role. And yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe if you do kind of chirp the the Bruins or somebody like that, you know that you're going to get a reaction. Whereas if you do it to some of the other teams, then, I mean, there is no one to kind of bite back. There's no one whose job it is to, to go out and have a fight. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, just uh, one thing that I also wanted to uh, just recap. I don't know whether you guys ever check out on the NHL website again, I'll just readjust my glasses and continue my geekiness. But I particularly like to go on the, the NHL Situation Room. There's a section on the website and just go and watch. And they put up there some of the stuff that's uh, happening in the video reviews. And there was one particular instance, which I haven't actually seen this happen in a game before. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks, the uh, St. Louis Blues on Saturday. Uh, the uh, St. Louis Blues were on a power play and uh, they'd had a few attempts actually at shots on goal uh, but had been blocked and then the play stopped because the horn sounded and what had happened was the situation room had actually spotted a power play goal by Tarasenko that had been missed during play um, and so everything was stopped it missed the, the goal had actually happened 30 seconds before uh, the the play was stopped and then they had to reset the clocks uh, but I'd never seen anything like that. You can go and uh, watch the video. It's in the NHL Situation um, uh, Room section, and they they post all the different reviews that happen over the games. I, I I'd never seen that. It was like a um, I think Maroon had done a backhand pass to Sar Tarasenko, and the the puck crosses the line, and the but the goalie looks like they get a stick to it and looks like a save when you're kind of watching it in fast pace. But as you see slowed down from different camera views you see it has actually crossed the line but barely and then it's back out and the play continued and they got a another couple of shots on goal afterwards um i can't remember what the rule was or something but i hadn't actually seen that kind of 
situation. A lot of the time when you see the situation room involved, it's because it's a coach's call and whether they're willing to sacrifice their time out or not. Good goal, no goal, goalie interference, that kind of stuff. But I've never actually seen when play was happening that uh, the goal horn sounds and everyone's like, oh, this might be a goal. When did that happen? I mean, have you ever heard of this? Have you seen this before, Tom? I'm, you know, I'm just kind of entering my geekiness in a new level as I do this podcast, so, you know. No, I've never heard of anything about it. I've seen play called back after it's continued a little way on, but in terms of sounding the goal horn, no, that's nothing, nothing that I've encountered before, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it ended up being a game-tying goal, so it did really help St. Louis Blues. Uh, Chicago went on to win in overtime 5-4, but in these kind of moments, every little call like that happens. I mean, it's not something you'd ever... I've not heard of that in football, for instance, and everyone bangs on about how video replay and stuff like that is an absolute pain. Uh, You look in the World Cup and how it was like stop-start, stop-start every single blooming game, but... I suppose you're going to be pretty happy if uh, you're in that situation as a fan and you, the play gets stopped because there's a goal happened that you didn't know about. <laughs> I'd like a few of those. And I think, for, I think for something like whether it's a goal or whether it's not a goal, you want those decisions to be 100% right. I think the way that goal line technology has come in the Premier League in football basically has just wiped out a whole bit of controversy. Like now we know for sure whether the ball crosses the line or whether it doesn't. And ice hockey is the same. And I kind of, I don't mind whether the decision comes 20 seconds later, 30 seconds later, you know, it's weird, isn't it? As you say, a goal horn goes in the middle of the game. I think where video technology, and this is probably something we can do on a future pod, but video game in-game technology slows the game down like let's take last year for example when there was the whole goaltender interference thing I mean my days that was so complicated and you had this you had this thing where it wasn't just fans or it wasn't just us over here watching it couldn't quite understand the rules you had NHL coaches and goaltenders and players not understanding what was and wasn't goaltender interference and that was purely because video was brought into it and it meant that they could review the referees could review these plays in my minute detail and it was still such a complicated rule and interpreting it as part of the flow of the game that all goes in video review because you just see that one little moment and you're just looking and I think that is where it's dangerous adding in video reviews into games for those things because that can really slow it down. Goal line stuff, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's great to know whether you've scored or not and always get that right because, okay, calls can go wrong for you. Uh, penalties, can you cannot get a penalty and things like that. But if you score a goal, you want to get a goal. You want to get that goal. And I think that's where hockey, hopefully, if they rein back in the whole goaltender interference thing, I think they're not doing too badly, and I think a lot of other sports... To be fair, North American sports are better at it generally, generally uh, looking at the whole replay thing and incorporating it as part of the game. One of the infuriating things I find about VAR, the, the soccer one here, is that if you're in the ground, you can't see the replays. You, you, get, you are blind to it, so you just have to sit there waiting, whereas at least in hockey, and I'm pretty sure in NFL as well, they show the replays on the big screens. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think there can be situations uh, when I followed hockey in the UK where you could p- 
potentially, if there was a call that was missed on ice, if uh, you were a team that had a fair bit of money, you had until Monday m noon uh, to submit some video evidence to say this mm -hmm. call was missed and then it would be decided by an anonymous panel. Uh, but I think it was like, uh, I might be making this up, but it might be 80 quid a, you know, uh, an application to appeal uh, for a missed call. But again, that would depend on have you got the money to do these calls? Um, is it going to be worth it tactically? And then have you got good enough quality video as well? Uh, I think what I do prefer about something like NHL is that a lot of these things, they don't seem to linger. They seem to get on with them and move forwards quite quickly, which they should do at this kind of level of um, professionality, I suppose. But you don't often hear them lingering. And, and it's not just about goals as well. It's also about injuries. Because if you take uh, something like the Tom Wilson situation, the fact that there is so much video evidence, so many camera angles, it, it clearly makes such a big difference. Uh, when these guys are deciding was it, wasn't it, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it, I, I'm, I think this year my aim is to start paying a little bit more attention to um, look at player safety and also what's happening in the situation room. It, that, that is where I want to raise my understanding of my game. So I'm particularly keen to hear from fans who have a real good kind of grasp of knowledge of this stuff so I can kind of just learn a little bit more about the details of the game because it's one thing being a fan and watching a game but then to kind of take your take your geekiness to another level um i have to admit that i've started my hockey pad this week uh jolon i normally do this every season and i list i actually write down all the game sheets for every game for my team um and i've even gone as far this year to go through i've done most of the teams in um, the Eastern Conference now of all their coach names, their GM names, uh, and that kind of stuff. So that's how geeky I am. I'm very impressed. And you're sounding so level-headed, Claire, about this whole, these reviews and uh, player safety stuff and things like that. I'm just waiting to see when Toronto play Boston and Marshan takes out uh, Tavares' legs and pummels someone Mitch Marner into the boards and to see how level-headed you can then be about reacting to it because that's the bit where I just can't do it like I can try and understand the game I can try and get a grasp of it and all of these kind of intricate little rules and how you can use video and all of this kind of stuff and then yet when something happens to my beloved Maple Leafs or anything like that or something that affects them I just go into fan mode and anything is wrong if it goes against my team. Tom, I'm sure you feel the same. If you see Conor McDavid pummeled into the boards in a perfectly good hit, you're wanting that guy suspended for life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think the, uh, the issue of video replay is really important because the Oilers were in a situation two years ago where I think ultimately it was the difference between winning a series and losing it in the playoffs where um, the there was a goal scored and a player was holding on to Talbot's pad and they reviewed it, didn't give it a goal, as goaltender interference and the Oilers went on to lose the game and then ultimately uh, went out of the playoffs at the end of it. So um, so, so for me, uh, goaltender interference in particular is a real a real sore point because it was one that was reviewed but, but to my view and I think to the view of, of most people, it, it, even neutral onlookers would would be that they got the call wrong and um, and, and it smarts a little bit because you you can't help but wonder then you know 
it would have been a conference final that we'd have gone into and, and once you get that far you start to wonder what could have been but uh, yeah it's one of those where I, I think uh, as a fan you you want everything given against you I mean how many, just to use football for instance how many times do you scream for a penalty for your team but if it was the other way around you'd be you'd be swearing blind that it wasn't um, you know bias always comes into it but but ultimately my point of view on on VAR in football on, on reviews in hockey and all the sports I follow really is I'd rather see people get it right and and, and, and whatever means they do that I'd, I'd rather just see a right decision than, than anything else all right well VAR that's going to be a subject we're going to come back to again and again and again isn't it it's going to keep cropping up whatever sport fan you are I guess um, well, Tom, it has been an absolute pleasure. I think uh, we've put the world to rights in most of the things that we've talked about uh, You know, in NHL this week. There's so many of the teams that we've missed out. Um, but it's been great to hear from you as uh, an Edmonton Oilers fan. And as I say, it's always good to have a fellow Midlander on. I appreciate the Brummie accent. So, and, uh, and thank you possibly to your wife as well for allowing you at the time to talk to us because she sounds like <laughs> the best wife in the world if i'm honest she sounds, sounds great. great she is she is <laughs> make sure she, she listens to this great. as well so oh, she oh, can say yeah that. definitely <laughs> tom can i just get your uh, can I, we just get your predictions we did this with steven last week we wanted to get who you think and okay we know this is difficult for any guests who come on at the beginning of the season this is a tough ask you think you've got a tough task steven hadn't even seen a game yet before we asked him for his prediction who do you think this year will win the stanley cup final it is fine to say edmonton oilers but we won't believe you I would love to say the Edmonton Oilers, but I won't. Um, you're, you're going to be very happy with my prediction this year. I'm oh, no, not don't. About the Leafs. <laughs> oh, I'm no, not no, about no. The Leafs. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's just, um, I think you've got issues with defence, but I think the attacking talent that you've got, and, and, and in particular the coach that you've got, um, I, I, think it, I think they've got as good a chance as anyone. But... But last year, my prediction was the Oilers, so, so what on earth do I know? We'll, we'll, we'll soon find out, I'm sure, but uh, I've got a little, a little inkling towards the Leafs this year, and I'm, I'm not saying that just because I'm speaking to you guys. So, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going for a lie down now, that's too much. <laughs> well, they say that, you know, when you're a Canadian hockey fan, when your team is out of the running, then you hopefully support another Canadian team. So well, yeah, 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 except Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> That's the rule, isn't it? I thought any yeah. Canadian is supposed to support any team other than Toronto. I didn't say I wanted Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tom. We really appreciate it. Um, a quick mention uh, just before we finish that if you'd like to share your stories as a fan, exactly as Tom has done, he's contacted us uh, to get in, get in touch and tell us your bizarre stories. Have you got a lovely wife or husband who's let you take them? Uh, on the honeymoon to go and watch a game then please drop us a tweet or an email it's nhlfansfromafar at gmail.com particularly I think what we're going to struggle with Jolon is the episode where we have to do a whole episode with a Boston Bruins fan I think that's going to be a tough one isn't it but well, we well, don't, we have, don't to. have to, you know, we kind of, we own this podcast, like we, we created it, we make it, we don't actually have to allow <laughs> a Boston Bruins fan any time on this podcast, we could make it a Boston free zone and I would not compare, I'm actually going to Boston um, in the autumn in a couple of weeks time and I'm hoping, I'm just hoping to get into a bar and talk to some Bruins fans, I'm not quite sure whether I'll 
come out as a maple leaf or not. Um, I might keep that quiet. But um, I don't know. I've heard it's one of the friendliest cities, really nice city to go to. It's just a shame their hockey team is so dirty, isn't it? <laughs> Boston is a great place. And if you are a Boston Bruins fan, we will we'll, we'll tolerate you. Don't worry. Please get in contact. And, of course, remember to hit subscribe so that you receive our latest pods automatically every Thursday at 8 a.m. Rise or Shine. Um, I think you're back next week, aren't you, Joel? And I'm on my holidays. Yeah, you're off on your holiday, so we've invited uh, Stephen back, who did uh, such a great job on week one on the pod. He's going to come back and review all things NHL. We'll go through the games that have happened so far. We'll look to the future. We'll see how his predictions are going so far. Okay, early days. And, of course, by that point, we'll be celebrating and going over the beautiful, freshly signed contract of William Nylander and looking ahead to what is going to be such a great year. Well, we can hope for that as a birthday present, can't we? Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would. Anyway, see you later.